Welcome to episode 34 of the Handsome Hockey Podcast. I'm Evan, here alongside my co-host Jake. Hello. And we're here to talk about hockey and hockey-related things today. Yeah, a lot of hockey-related things today. We had a uh, a really kind of unfortunate and, and kind of heart-wrenching story that came out in the news this week about the history of indigenous violence in Canada, and that 215 bodies of indigenous children were found in an unmarked grave at the site of one of the infamous residential schools in British Columbia this week. You know, this is kind of new-ish to me. I don't know if it's new-ish to you, the, the concept of indigenous residential schools. I know there's one in Oregon that I became conscious of once moving out here, but you know, before then, this wasn't really a subject touched on in, I would say, most American history classes. Yeah, go figure. We don't talk about the horrific genocidal history of our country, and neither does Canada. Remember last week when we were like, we have good things to talk about, and the show was like kind of bouncy and jubilant? That was only bound to last so long. Yeah, we, we can't have nice things. No. The Canadian government has, I believe in 2008, apologized, quote unquote, apologized for the atrocities against the indigenous community. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say I know much about the battle between white settlers and the indigenous populations of Canada. Mm -hmm. I'm not a scholar in that area, so I can't really talk about the history so much. What I can talk about is the, the complete lack of response to these mm. findings from the NHL and yeah. its respective Canadian franchises. Yeah, they've kind of been put to shame by the people that have released something about it, which would be the Toronto Raptors. They put out a really good statement. The Oshawa Generals junior team put out a really good statement. And just recently, the closest major hockey team to area where this happened, the, the Kamloops Blazers, they've put out a relatively weak tweet. But, you know, it, they, they have said something. It's a little too coded, I think, for my tastes. It's better than nothing. It is better than nothing. Which the, is sad that that is what we scrape for in these issues when we're kind of trying to deal with the trauma of settler colonialism. The PWHPA, mm-hmm. uh, who were playing in Calgary this weekend, mm-hmm. also had a moment of silence for the children that were found. Oh, good. Which is, again, a nice gesture in an era where... Gestures are nice, but actions are better. Yeah, it, gestures do li- lead to some people learning, I think. So, you know, it's good to see things like that happen. I know that after this sort of 2008 acknowledgement, there's been some sort of truth and reconciliation commissions across Canada, and there have been some pretty concrete steps that have been outlined, but then kind of not taken. So uh, one of the things that Indigenous people in Canada are continuing to push for are kind of full archaeological surveys of these schools and really looking for more of these mass graves because we think there are likely more of them, unfortunately. What I do know is I think it was a LIDAR survey that originally found this mass grave, and then they did a proper archaeological dig and uncovered the the bodies of the children. You know, we think that 
most of them were probably uh, died of mistreatment, malnourishment, maybe abuse. You know, a lot of their records were either funged or mismanaged in some way. These children were disappeared into the system in ways that we would find unconscionable today. And this school operated until 1978. So it's not like it's that far in the past. I always come back to this Faulkner quote that was kind of also popularized by Obama, is that the past is not forgotten, it's not even past. I think that's one of these lessons that we learned from this, is that reconciliation and coming to terms with the grotesque mistakes of settler colonialism takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of heart-wrenching discoveries and dealing with them, and it takes a lot of education. This event really brings to the forefront something that Canada and the U.S. both kind of sweep under the rug. Oh, yeah. Not kind of, act- like totally sweep <laughs> under the rug. Actively sweep under the Actively, rug. Actively, like, and are throwing other rugs on top of. Mm-hmm. But something like this forces us as two nations to really examine that past. And it's not about coming to terms with it, it's about rectifying it as much as one possibly can. We can't bring these children back. Mm-mm. That that can't be done. What we can do is build a better society that doesn't shunt off major populations uh, or major portions of the population as other or as less significant. Mm-hmm. And for Canada and the U.S. both have a long ways to go in this regard. Yeah. And what sucks is, you know, with all of these sort of bureaucratic responses to trauma inflicted by previous iterations of that bureaucracy, it's like we go to the aggrieved and say, what can we do to make you whole? And they say something and then we go, ah, but not that. uh, That's, yeah, oh man. One of the things that would really represent progress is getting past that kind of thing and say, yeah, we are going to put forth a program to really identify and make known to the best of our ability the true nature of these residential schools that have this horrid history. I mean, for those that aren't already familiar with them, throughout mainly the west of the United States and Canada, there are indigenous residential schools where kids were, by various legal and illegal means, uh, taken from their parents and forced into boarding schools in which they were made to speak only English, not allowed to do any of their sort of cultural upbringing, and basically attempt to whitewash their culture out of them. And Christianize. Yeah, and Christianize them. Most of them were run by some Christian organization or another. And, you know, this has a lot of parallels with the abuse reconciliation in the Catholic Church, because oftentimes they are one and the same. I mean, many of these were Catholic. And, you know, that shows you how difficult the road ahead is, how resistant the Catholic Church has been to any sort of change or light shining on, you know, the the depth of the depravity and how actively things were sort of enabled and cast into the shadows in the sake of kind of making everything look nice to the outside, the Catholic Church has been incredibly resistant to any sort of bring its malfeasance to to light and make an accounting of it. You said something earlier about instead of going to these peoples whom we have committed genocide against and saying, what can we do to help you? And then kind of standing back when we actually hear what is needed. We need to go to these people and ask them what they need from us. And instead of old white dudes saying, oh, no, 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 no. Like that's, here's uh, here's $200. It, we need to have a coalition 
that is full of people from all walks of this problem and they need to come together and instead of like the white people running it and inviting these indigenous voices in the indigenous voices need to have as much if not more of a say in how things are fixed going forward the statements that have come out have been good Mm -hmm. well the kamloops one is kind of meh but i want to read the oshawa generals statement real quick just because i think that this is about as good as a statement can be Mm -hmm. the oshawa general statement reads truth and reconciliation is not about words it isn't about the statement hitting our platforms for the sake of well we are supposed to the discovery of 215 indigenous children made in kamloops should not represent a poor past this country has it represents how it has never been fixed and that the problem continues to exist into our present this country was built upon the cultural genocide of our indigenous peoples and their communities It is not their responsibility to react, give their thoughts, or answer how they feel. As our organization sits sits and operates on Ashinabawaki, Hodinosaniga, and Mississauga land, it is our responsibility to support our local indigenous communities, fans, and families. The time to take action has long passed. How they follow that up with action behind their words is the real barometer of whether or not this is being handled. And I think we can see in this week's issues surrounding Ethan Bear that these issues are not even barely below the surface. You know, the the same kind of racism towards current indigenous NHL players was so fast to come out after one bad turnover by the Edmonton Oilers defenseman. Next thing you know, Twitter is full of indigenous hate. And that was incredibly depressing to see, but also pretty predictable. You didn't see anybody saying, hey, this fucking white dude, Connor McDavid, turned over the puck on the (laughs) last goal that knocked them out of the playoffs. That was a bad turnover that led to the goal that got them knocked out of the playoffs. No, you're correct. And and absolutely. And Ethan Bear has endured a lot in his hockey career so far and just to get to where he is now you know i think these two stories kind of run in parallel to show that this is not even gone it's not below the surface for christ's sakes we are still fighting the crusades in the middle east like how could you think that the problems of indigenous north americans have been dealt with in any sort of competent way over the years like we need to be actively educating and showing people that settler colonialism and our kind of whitewashed histories happened on the backs of untold millions of people that lived here before us. And we need to be conscious of that. As an organization, the NHL and its seven Canadian teams need to, in this regard, at least do the bare fucking minimum (laughs) Which is put out a statement. Just say something about this. Like, Mm -hmm. how has this not been said? You kind of have wonder if one of the, like, American teams with a really active social media presence is, like, the first one to say something about this. If Carolina says something first, they're going to become my second favorite NHL team. They might already be. Yeah, I mean, and half wonder if they might, because every United States NHL team probably, their stadium probably sits on... Oh, land ev- stolen ev- from you know every single some one. sort of tribe so it, it like it's not like we are any less culpable in the united states oh absolutely like the, i mean the u.s has genocides against a bunch of people right and so and we need to reconcile with all of them it would be nice to see one nhl team just mm-hmm. one to start come out and say one thing about this 
Lord would, knows none of them use Native American imagery, you know, wanton, wantonly. So yeah, we need to give give credit to Coyotes. those who came before and and really you know fess up to these genocides perpetuated against against the indigenous peoples of North America. One of the things that made us bigger Canes fans this week than we already were, thanks to their social media presence, was actually the Predators. Dave Portnoy, the CEO of content or something, uh, I, I don't know, the, the hirer of women, was courted by the Nashville Predators social media people this week. And unfortunately for them, instead of Dave Portnoy, all they got was Creed. So the Nashville Predators coveted the attention of Dave Portnoy. Twitter exploded as you might surmise. Right. You know, they're playing the Canes, who have a pretty progressive Twitter following. And Nashville as eh, gateway to the South, but still more like Yankee territory than not. It's more Yankee territory just because... Culturally, I guess. It, it like Austin, like Portland, is a city of transplants mm-hmm. as opposed to the like native Texans or... Right. Yeah, Nashville is mostly a city of bachelorette parties. So, you know... Why Dave Portnoy would be there would is anybody's guess. Maybe it has something to do with the bachelorette parties. As we were saying earlier, Twitter responded in its most beautiful Twitter fashion by lambasting the Preds for attempting to court a racist, sexist, misogynistic troglodyte and trying to be BFFs with him. I don't think he attended the game, but I think he publicly put a $25,000 bet on the Predators for that game. Well... They lost. They lost. (laughs) The, oh darn, he lost. Portnoy then responded to the Twitter backlash for this. This is before the game. Yes. In the softest of ways, really. Mm -hmm. And I I hate using their language, uh, (laughs) like the the stooly empire language. Yeah, hard versus soft, mask versus not, saying cuck all the time, like... Yeah, like I I hate using it, but it works here because he used it. So Portnoy or was like in a in a text text thread, thread with Taylor Lewan. Taylor Lewan, who is a gem in his own right. After. So in this text thread, Dave Portnoy tells Taylor Lewan to tell to tell the city soft, of Nashville. Yeah. Soft Preds fans can go fuck themselves. <laughs> which can't say that directly of course not yeah he can't say that himself he has to tell a big a big offensive and an nfl offensive tackle to say this because he's hiding in this like shroud of like no i'm a tough guy but really <laughs> i'm intimidated by people of all types he's intimidated by a pizza box let's he not is lie. it's the softest fucking thing i've heard of like <laughs> Yeah. Again, Tell your to friends use... they suck. Yeah. But I don't want to be there. No. I'm Dave Portnoy and I I hire women. <laughs> also, as we said earlier, Nashville lost that game and it's probably because they coveted the friendship of Dave Portnoy. So Yeah, the Portnoy curse is real. Uh last time a last two times I guess teams co- uh coveted his attention they lost in their playoff series in which they were coveting his attention. So yeah. Hashtag Portnoy curse. Hashtag go fuck yourself. <laughs> what Nashville did succeed in was bringing in Creed. And boy, did they not take them higher. 
I didn't know that they still existed. Yeah, and they... That's the largest venue they played to in decades. Right, and then they performed behind this, uh, like, glass box that I think was... I think was probably set up for COVID, but I actually think Scott Stapp just designed that, so he seems more Pope-like. Was it a heart-shaped box? No, that's an an actually talented band from the 90s. My bad. Uh, I was thinking, yeah... I was sad that there was no like him levitating. You really need to invite them in with arms more widely open. Yeah, and well, he can only levitate to some like sick Mark Tremonti guitar riffs. And, and Mark Tremonti's not even part of the band anymore. Yeah, because nobody wants to fucking deal <laughs> with Scott Stapp at all. Yeah, that also confused everyone that loved Mark Tremonti because they're like, no, he's got Alter Bridge. He's still doing his own thing because they hate Scott Stapp. <laughs> Well, that band also sucks, too. I mean... Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, but that was my taste at one point, so I'm not going to tell them that, like... We have we have so much back catalog of you talking about your terrible music music tastes from like the aughts uh-huh. <laughs> that, <laughs> and I'm not saying mine's better. Mine no. is mine is still awful. But I think Creed Human Clay was like the third CD I ever owned. I'm kind of offended by this conversation. Just why? Because you also liked Creed? No, God no. <laughs> I actually never got into Creed. I'm, I bought in hard to Limp Biscuit, but I never got into Creed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I that was like those two skis ran parallel for me. <laughs> it's really weird being in 2021 and thinking of Limp Biscuit as something that has like aged okay. I would go, I would go see Limp Biscuit play like a small club. Yeah, just to see what the fuck was. Yeah, I would I would I would do that. If Limp Biscuit played like Rev Hall, I'd go see that. Even better if they played something grungy like the Roseland or <laughs> Oh god, the Star Theater. The Bossa Nova Ballroom. Isn't that where they have like like swinger parties at the Bossa Nova. I hope so. The only show I've ever seen there was Converge, and I'm wearing their t-shirt, which is kind of pretty awkward. cool t-shirt. It's a fucking great t-shirt. But yeah, so the moral of the story is we're really glad that Nashville's out, and Carolina was subsequently blocked by the Nashville Predators Twitter account. Epic. For posting an image that said, Banner Night in Nashville, and the banners read, the first one was Taylor Lewan chugged a beer, the second one was Creed played in intermission, and I forget the third one, but they were subsequently blocked by Nashville's Twitter feed. And then that meme went viral, and like everyone was making versions of it, just mocking the Predators. It turns out the Predators are just as soft as Dave Portnoy. I mean, what's funny is, up until this point, I was kind of rooting for the Predators because they were doing the underdog thing. They were doing it well, and... I mean, I was also, I wanted Carolina to win, but it's like, okay, you know, I will root for an underdog and UC Saros was worth rooting for. And then this happened and it's like, nope, go Canes. (laughs) It's amazing how one (laughs) stupid move by your social media expert can just sour most of your fan base. But it was a, a really great heel turn, I think, that just added some depth to this strange postseason that we're experiencing speaking of the postseason we can get into fun things now yeah uh like toronto montreal tormon tormon what the what the fuck is happening here um (laughs) what we worried about happening is happening actually i think both of the things are happening toronto has been quasi dominant at times montreal has been plucky and very also very good at times 
And then Toronto has just gotten in their own fucking heads. And so has Carey Price. You listen to any Toronto media the last couple of days, they're just like, oh no, here it goes again. Same like, same thing that happened when I was a child and daddy left. Like the OK Go song. Yeah. Here it goes, here it goes. Again. Here it goes Toronto's again. out of the first round. Yeah. It's just Maple Leaves on a, on a treadmill just getting run out of the playoffs. <laughs> Let's talk about this series a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's because it's the Please, only. It's let's, the, let's talk about it. It's I, the only first round series that we have left. So, and the, it starts in 35 minutes. Well, I mean, they're going to take their sweet ass time drop in the book. Yeah, so, so it's probably like 35 minutes plus like an extra 45 minutes. I hate like organizing my life around a start time and then like tuning in and then like puck drop in 25 minutes. Like, ah! Damn it! And I'm like, oh great, do I get to talk? Uh, do I get to hear from Pierre Maguire all this time? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh joy! Just make more room for Patrick Sharp and Anson Carter. Like, just yeah. just give. They're funny together. The more time that you give Patrick Sharp and Anson Carter together, like they're like line mates. You know, they're learning each other. They're playing off each other. They're downright funny at times, which is not allowed on the NBC broadcast. So uh, it's something to behold. Yeah, Patrick Sharp made the great comment this week of. Um, Oh my God! <laughs> Are we talking about the comment that I'm that yeah. I texted oh, you about? Absolutely, I, and oh. I need to uh, remember it verbatim. Oh. What is it? They're inviting Carolina to come down our throats. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was watching it and I was like, "No!" I immediately texted you and my brother. I had to save it for posterity's sake because he he literally said, it, it, inviting mm-hmm. Carolina to come down their throats. <laughs> he was making a weird hockey analogy. No, it and worked. It, it kind of made sense. And then you were like, what did you just say? <laughs> I hope like they... They were like, and back to you to the play-by-play and commentary, and like Liam McHugh and Anson Carter just turned to him and were like, "You fucking idiot!" <laughs> but also, <laughs> that got that got treated really well on Twitter. People were just like, "This is hilarious." Oh, it was I actually? I never even went on Twitter to see what they said about it because I just I had enough in my own brain for it. Like I was good. I didn't it, need Twitter for this. Yeah, one. it made it a little bit different that it was beautiful Patrick Sharp saying it. I think. Anyways, Toronto, Montreal. (laughs) Uh, As of right now, before game seven, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are shooting a combined 1.6% in this series. In like our season preview episode, when we talked about Montreal could be really good this year, we were Mm -hmm. impressed with their offseason and then they were kind of okay. Mm -hmm. They made the playoffs, but we were like, what if Carey Price does Carey Price things? That like, you know he's always capable. Like Carey Price 2014. Mm-hmm. Not like Carey Price the last three years. Right. And as you know, people like Ryan Lambert were pointing out, last week Carey Price was in the AHL getting lit up. So, and you know... <laughs> this week... I mean, yes, that was a conditioning stint. I don't know. You, you sense that if they can get through their heads and past Montreal in this game seven, this team can do fucking anything. There's also a decent chance that it's going to be Jason Spezza scoring all the goals. So you know, as it has been so far, <laughs> it's hard not it's hard to decide who we want to win tonight, because I would both like to see Toronto get over the hump. But I would also like to see Montreal just induce max playoff madness. Also, the city of Toronto might not be there if they lose. 
<laughs> like the game the game ends and you just like the screen goes dark and you're yeah. like what happened and like nuclear explosion happens <laughs> in downtown toronto i'm like i didn't know canada had nukes <laughs> what the fuck happened here so i'm gonna say on a whim since we have a hockey pod po- podcast and prognosticating is kind of what we do and despite the fact that this is going to come out well after this game is over I think I'm going to say I want Montreal to win. Okay. For that chaos. I like, I love them as like, as Christopher Nolan's Joker. Like, (laughs) I'm an agent of chaos. (laughs) Like, I, I love the idea of a win. Like, we wanted Toronto Edmonton. We wanted Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid so bad. And we got Winnipeg and Montreal. (laughs) I fucking love it. I, we got Tyler Toffoli and Kyle Connor. Like, <laughs> that's beautiful. Would it be nice to see Toronto do okay in the playoffs for once? Sure. Absolutely. But this is, that's fucking, ah, that's, that's exactly what I want. This is, like, Carey Price as the Joker walking out of the hospital with the broken trigger that doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. and then it does. That's what I want. And I, I want. Have, I have a plan. I want. You have to kill the Marner man. I want the what is it the Air Canada Center yeah <laughs> to just like implode once people are safely out but just like Toronto ceases to exist sorry <laughs> and it just like collapses on in on itself you saw what Vancouver did well <laughs> be ready for another level of Canadian violence oh boy oh that's all we need is more white people doing stupid things because oh, yeah. their team sports their sports team lost although being a Portlander I'm always like rooting for other cities to riot just to be like no look they did it way worse <laughs> yeah when the timbers won i went downtown and i was outside the stadium and you know what we did we drank beers and hung out and cheered we didn't burn shit down no it was great well and i always point out that vancouver did more damage in one night of rioting killed more people than a year of protests and rioting in portland yeah because the sedines couldn't get it done yeah, it, versus boston in game Mast. seven i mean you know, at least it was for the cup and not a first round playoff. Don't qualify it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that might render Toronto somewhat safe. Like if yeah. if Montreal beat Toronto for Le Cup. If Toronto wins or loses tonight, hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna Lock be it down. madness. Have you seen World War Z? <laughs> It'll be like that. I think I'm still rooting for Toronto. Partially because of John Tavares, because of the hit he took and that he's pressing so hard to come back. Sheldon O'Keefe is brought him out this morning on to the morning skate. And that's, a, in my eyes, a pretty smart coaching move. You know, that's got to be motivating to the other players to see him, A, come back after such an injury to just be amongst them, B, to show them that if they win this game, they probably get him back in the next series. And C, just to have time with one of their veterans, veteran leaders again, like he's their captain. Yeah. Like he has been one of the motors of that team this whole year. So I don't know. I'm kind of rooting for him to get off the schneid and get past the Canadians. But God, that would be still pretty amazing. I I think either way we win, but we win more with Toronto losing. That's kind of been the, I don't know, the, the refrain of this first round for me. It's like... I don't care between Winnipeg and Edmonton winning, but we got the storyline from that versus, you know, Minnesota versus Vegas went 
full drama. And when we got to that game seven, it was like, I don't really care who wins or loses because this is a great story either way. Yeah. And also they're going to get just. Well, we we didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Yeah. No, (laughs) I feel like I did. Some people called it. Colorado is like an M1A1. (laughs) And, you know, the greatest tank ever created. Mm -hmm. And the whoever they play, except for maybe Tampa or Carolina, is like whatever tank the French brought to World War II. (laughs) Like, it's about to get run over. Colorado is just, they're on another level. Yeah. They might lose a game to Vegas. Right. There's reasons that they've been giving off sort of Jordan Bulls vibes. Like you can see they are having a level of fun in the background. They know they're going to be in the playoffs for a really long time. This culture is nothing but hard work and winning. And they have swag coming out of their ears. It, like you can just feel that they're going to win a game. Every time they walk in a stadium. As of right now, I don't see them being stopped. The look in Nathan McKinnon's eyes makes me want to take my pants off, but also <laughs> run in fear. It's it's incredible. Like this team is just firing. Like we kind of wanted to say a requiem or a eulogy for teams who have since departed this mortal coil. <laughs> Eulogize. Edmonton, what can I say? Bye. I mean, okay, no, there's there's more to say there. It's insane that Connor McDavid generated no penalties against him in a four-game series. That is statistically past improbable to impossible. And especially if you watch him, like he was getting abused by the the Winnipeg defense. And it was working, and they just didn't call shit. Yeah, I don't want to go into like I feel like the referees and the playoffs debate is kind of like a long-standing thing, so yeah. I don't want to go into it too if much. You, well, I mean, but yes, you're right. Like there was like one where he took a knee to knee hit and was like sent sprawling, and it was like the ref the ref is standing right there watching it and just like skates away afterwards, and you're like, no, no, that's a penalty. Dom Lukshusen on the Athletic did a really awesome teardown of the especially awful refereeing we've been seeing in the playoffs this year. I mean, we're kind of used to seeing BS refereeing in the playoffs for, oh yeah, you're for game flow and, you know, game management. No, you're just not calling shit that you should call. You know what increases scoring in the playoffs? Power plays, you fucking schmucks. So he did a amazing evisceration of the horrible refereeing we've been seeing. And I encourage anybody to go seek that article out and read it. I don't know. I don't have a whole lot more to say about Edmonton, Winnipeg. I just like a, the, the team around McDavid and Dreisaitl is not good enough. It's an AHL club. Well, I mean, no, it's bad. They have pieces. Darnell nurse is good. Their defense should be fine. They will get Clefbaum back. Yes. They were, they were without Clefbaum. but they, um, they have no forward depth. No. After the two guys, who's their best forward? Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Yamamoto, Tyler Ennis. All of those and names. And Yamamoto's a really good like, piece. Like, really, but he's like their only young. And Nugent Hopkins is, is gone because they can't afford him because they have stupid amounts of money tied up in fucking Zach Cassian and James Neal. <laughs> like, Oilers traded Milan Lucic for James Neal. 
both awful contracts and significantly lost that trade. Yeah, except for that hot minute where McDavid made James Neal look like a superstar. Yeah, we were like, oh, that's the James Neal we know from that one year in Vegas where (laughs) he was good. Okay, cool. Zach Cassian is making three and a half million dollars a year for the next three years. You could get three players for that that are all better than Zach Cassian. Remember when I said that they hired Ken Holland and that was the worst move they could have possibly made with having Connor McDavid on the team? Mm-hmm. There it's you go. Really kind of coming to pass. Isn't He's that? fucking terrible. Other teams that have lost Washington, too old, too slow. Enjoy your retirement home. Who knows? You know, technically Ovechkin no longer under contract. So he's not going anywhere. This the whole yeah, but also like, Chara wasn't going anywhere, in, anywhere until he did. No, Ovechkin's not going fucking anywhere. One because he's a Russian plant and he needs to stay in the nation's capital, <laughs> and two because there's no way they let him go anywhere. They're gonna lose somebody in the expansion draft, and it wouldn't surprise me if Ovechkin didn't resign before the expansion draft. So he's not. They don't need to protect him. And then they can protect Oshi and all these other guys that they're saying that they aren't going to be able right. to protect. And then, just, oh my God, he has resigned. Mm. Right. Well, everyone talks about you know TJ Oshi going back to Seattle, but he has said you know no, my my home is in Washington. And people are like, oh, you need to specify which Washington now. He's like the one that's not a state, but <laughs> yeah. should be. <laughs> they're. Off season is going to be pretty interesting until they like just run it back with the same fucking team. And well, because they can. I mean, the team is not bad. You don't look like an idiot trotting but out that team. But they're not going to win a cup with that team again, I don't think. It seems unlikely without a significant youth infusion. And, but and Anthony Mantha. That's not a significant youth infusion. Anthony Mantha? <laughs> what you traded for him was a significant youth infusion. So, Minnesota? This is probably the most, like, eulogy I've got. Because they punched three weight classes above their weight class this year after bringing in one player. They went from featherweight to heavyweight? Oh, absolutely. They brought Vegas, a far superior team, to seven games with gritty play, but also a lot of creativity and speed. What this team was last year to what it is this year is night and day. I cannot give more props to a first-round exit in recent memory than Minnesota versus Vegas. One where I was pulling for Vegas to get Vegas, Colorado, and then it was like pulling for the underdog when Minnesota showed they had a chance. It seems like it's been made a bit of a moot point by how good Colorado is, but Minnesota was awesome this year. That series against Vegas was awesome. Cam Talbot, can't say enough about him. He's a guy. Yeah, like like, talk about somebody that Edmonton really wished they'd had. Kirill Kaprizov is a star and is going to be so fun to watch for the next five to 10 years. I don't really have a lot to say about Minnesota just because it's hard to be invested in Minnesota as a team because they've been mm-hmm. so boring for so long. I'm thrilled that they're exciting now and I it'll be really interesting to see what they do this offseason and try and get better. They're also probably going to lose a really good player in the expansion draft. There's an interesting future in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I think they should be one of the contenders for in the Central when we get back to regular divisions next year. Totally. You know, who goes to Seattle will be interesting. The futures of Zach Parise and Ryan Suter are going to be really interesting because Parise went from, you know, the face of the franchise to being now he's like an effective third and fourth liner. Or healthy scratch. Yeah. I mean, he deserves his contract is long. 
Yeah, and he deserved the healthy scratch and then came back and and performed, you know, as a, a role player, but his best years are behind him as are Ryan Suiters. They made they gave these guys huge hometown contracts cuz they're from the Minneapolis St. Paul area and as you point out, they go, they still have quite a bit of term left. So they both have 4 years left. 4 years left? Holy balls. Suiters 36, Parise is 36. Oh yeah, through the end of the 2025 season, St. Louis is a team. So Pittsburgh, I don't know. Do we need to say anything else about St. Louis? Like, no, I mean other than like Ryan O'Reilly saying we're gonna win, and then saying we didn't win. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, they just they were just outmatched. Like uh, it was. There's a- not a whole lot to say. You know, Jordan Bennington played well for a minute, and then yeah, and then Colorado said. That's nice. We're going to put a bunch of goals past you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, and he freaked out. He managed to freak out and try and challenge Grubauer to a fight after you know, game one. Like, after, like, when you get beat that thoroughly where you have no recourse, like, I can almost understand freaking out a little bit. Like, his regular season freak out, if he had done that, you know, after getting just freak out in the locker room. Yeah. It, it's not. It's not classy. He's still kind of a young shithead, but... But he's not young. Pittsburgh, that might... Outside of, I think, Vegas, Minnesota, that was probably the best series. Yeah, and I think those teams are relatively relatively evenly matched. Like, the Pittsburgh pickup of Jeff Carter turned out to be a brilliant one. I, I did not see that happening nor working out well. And boy, did it. We know Pittsburgh's dynasty is on its last legs, right? Mm -hmm. They're probably in a better position than Washington, but not by much. Yeah. Did Malkin even play? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He played in games, I think, from game three on. Did he make an impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He had a couple goals. Okay. Yeah. Malkin, but like, you know, Chris Letang came out the other day that said, me, Sid, and Gino want to finish our careers here. And it's like, well, maybe. They probably will, but only because they're just impossible to move and... I don't think they are. I wouldn't. I would honestly be surprised if every one of those guys was in Pittsburgh next year. Yeah, who do you think goes first? Probably Latang. Latang. Ultimately, we kind of got what we wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Like, did we want to see underdogs usurp sure. that? Sure, absolutely. But what did we get? We got Colorado, Vegas, and we got Carolina, Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. and we're recording this after Game One. Where Colorado maybe just told the league how really fucking good they are. <laughs> yeah, one of these kaiju is not quite as strong as the others. <laughs> exactly. It's it. I wrote this in, in the notes. It's like the final battle of Pacific Rim with the giant American robot versus the kaiju, and it turns out maybe not. <laughs> in <laughs> well, you know, in the case of Colorado and Vegas, we've got a long time to go, possibly in this series. But wow. But yeah, Colorado's dismantling of Vegas. What was it? Seven to one. Fifteen to one? Yeah. Like a hundred and four to one. We'll really see. kind of spelled the end of the series in the first game. You know, it, I've not remembered a game one lopsided win like that. I don't know. We'll see if Vegas can respond. I think we'll see in game two if it's gonna be a real series or not. We'll, Mark Andre Fleury will probably play game two, mm-hmm. which I like kind of understand playing laner from a fact that you have given him this five-year deal and he's clearly your goalie moving forward 
But Marc-Andre Fleury was playing so well. Why would you sit him? He doesn't need to rest. It's the NHL playoffs. They don't rest. Yeah, that was kind of some coach big brain shit, I think. Oh, you mean DeBoer might not be a very good playoffs (laughs) coach? No way. (laughs) Let's ask the Sharks fans how they think about this. (laughs) I don't exactly understand it either in that it's game one. Why don't you go with your clear one goalie instead of 1A, but you also want to play laner and maybe think he, you know, as a bigger, more physical goalie, he stacks up better to the abs. I didn't. Yeah, he I played for three weeks. Yeah, I couldn't make much sense of it either. After being injured for most of the year. Remember when Vegas fired Gerard Gallant after getting them to the Stanley Cup finals and then hired Pete DeBoer? Yeah. That, Pepperidge Farm remembers. You get what you hire, apparently. <laughs> Nathan McKinnon is absolutely stupefying. He just went around NHL defensemen like they were cones last night. Like they, they just might as well not exist. He looks like a rich kid in a pay-per-play video game or pay-to-win video game. He's got all the power-ups and you have none. He's got the best guns and you ain't got none. And you're you're playing on your friend's Xbox and like just yeah. And and he's got an Xbox X one three sixty X one. He's got an X wing fighter. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reeves kind of went apeshit in the latter part of the game and did the tom wilson body slam maneuver he took it a bit too far we would say will he get suspended probably not i i hope he does i think he should get probably one or two games for mm-hmm. this just like we thought tom wilson should get one or two games for it yeah is he nazim Kadri or is he tom wilson like or you is know, he somewhere in between is the in betwixt department of player safety suspension vending machine going to get stuck again is he sponsored by violent gentlemen <laughs> all important questions and yeah. figuring out ryan reeves suspendability consensus sounds like a game or two for that At most yeah carolina tampa on the other hand uh, you pointed this out in the notes and it feels like two highly skilled soccer teams like spending the first 45 minutes of a game the first half of a game feeling each other out yeah our two boxers kind of doing so for a couple rounds you know both really good defensive teams both really good offensive teams neither one is kind of trying to get too far out over their skates first game was pretty good but you kind of feel like the other shoe is going to drop soon i didn't watch it but from everything i read i was i was at the beach sorry (laughs) from everything i read it sounded like carolina got vasilevskied yeah, Vashlevsky played awesome. They won 2-1. Like yeah. it any it sounds like it's going to be a series. Looks like it's going to be a series. Tampa won the Florida Man series and now they are invading North. It turns out when you play against the best goalie in the world, he does things like this. <laughs> yeah, occasionally. He he makes some stops here and there. Another interesting thing we saw this week was Naomi Osaka, best tennis phenom in the world basically now, or was playing in the French Open, announced that she didn't want to do press conferences. The French Open fined her and she said, okay, fuck you guys, I'm going home and pulled out of the French Open today. And if you read her tweet, she talks about having extreme social anxiety and Mm -hmm. depression and the cavalcade that is facing the press, especially for a high major event where Mm -hmm. they stand right next to you and shout questions at you until you answer them, can't be good for that. We've seen this with Marshawn Lynch in the NFL, where he would either refuse, he refused to answer questions until he got fined enough, and then he just (laughs) gave one-word answers to questions afterwards. You know, at a certain point, Why are we forcing these players to face the media? Why don't we just say, 
if you want to, cool. What what have we ever gleaned from a post-game conference that we yeah. couldn't have done without? Right. They're non-answers. Well, we just got to get pucks deep. Yeah, we know. Okay. like I think it's tennis balls, Jake. Well, you can get tennis balls deep, too. <laughs> um, it's just... It's the hardest part of their job as professional athletes is fucking media management. If we can't at some point give them a break in media appeasement so that they can be better for their on court field ice product whatever what are we doing yeah sports teams need to be able to do that and we're so focused on the media availability of athletes that they can't just do the athletics kind of shows where our priorities are failing us money and ad revenue right there needs to be more leeway given to the mental health of athletes at basically every level of sports i am Glad that, you know, someone as who has a profile like Naomi Osaka does has taken a stand like this and said what reasonable people have been saying for years and then, you know, put her money where her mouth is and left the tournament because of it. I saw a tweet. It's like, oh, thank God that subpar tennis players now will be playing and doing really good media addresses. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch less good tennis just so you could have people yell at, at this poor young woman for 35 minutes. A point needed to be made and she made it and kudos to her. Well, we as as Americans, as a country, especially to zoom that lens out further, how we interact, quote unquote, interact with our athletes is absurd. I can only imagine the mental drain that goes into being a professional athlete outside of playing your sport. You're playing your sport at the highest level. That already is mentally taxing and physically taxing. And then, oh, you have to go through this barrage, this like fusillade of fucking inane questions, most of which are never good. And well, in the French press are notoriously bad. I mean, they're the people that led to Princess Diana's death in their insane coverage of her. So, like, I think that's one thing that maybe goes without being talked about in this is, like, the French press is one of the uh, top leagues of paparazzi in the paparazzi league hierarchy. Naomi Osaka, in her pullout commentary, said, I'm sorry for all of the cool people in press that you know, are getting punished because of my my action here. Uh, you know, I do have a respect for you know, a number of people in, in media, and but you can tell that she was definitely being drugged down by the balance of what she was having to deal with. Yeah, it, it boils down to, and this is something that I think we need to practice with everyday people, mm-hmm. as well as our high-profile athletes and whatever. Oh, yeah. Is respect each other's mental health. Going after somebody on Twitter, it, something as simple as that can cause real damage to mm-hmm. a human being. So before you interact in any way with the world, think about the harm and the damage that your actions could cause and then stop. <laughs> like, just <laughs> like, like, I think we've gotten to a point as a culture, as a society that those actions online or in person need to have ramifications. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see this a little bit in English football, English soccer, mm. where you know people who racially abuse players online are now being arrested. Hate speech is hate speech, regardless of where it is. If you use it, 
there are ramifications for that and people should be prosecuted. Yeah, we saw some NBA teams this week come out against some uh, poor-minded fans, one of which like dumped popcorn on one of Russell them, Westbrook and, and then somebody was saying... Somebody spit on Trey Young and it's like, did we not learn from the malice <laughs> of the palace? You can get dropped in a heartbeat by these motherfuckers. Like, they're the... They are capable of destroying you and you're going to dump popcorn on them. The only thing that protects you is that they aren't meta world peace. Like <laughs> they don't have, or Jermaine O'Neal, like Russell Westbrook. Like if you dumped popcorn on him in a regular setting and he wasn't world famous, he's going to annihilate you. He's also had to deal with a kind of an insane share of the amount of racist and, and, shitty tirades of nba fans and yeah. in his career like you know he's been in multiple instances of, of fans being pieces of shit and like losing their season tickets or whatever being banned from stadiums you should yeah you should be the people who have done this like the guy who spit on trey young the people who dumped pop they should be banned from that venue and all team activities and probably forever the, and the league i mean they should be yeah yeah you should should be, be comprehensive bands you shouldn't be able to go watch the falcons or i'm sorry you shouldn't be able to go watch the atlanta hawks in detroit when you spit on trey young in atlanta like mm-hmm. no you're done you're fucking done but also we live in a world where the same police officer in florida has been fired from like six different police precincts and still gets hired so you know man that's probably wishful thinking is it though like you're the fucking optimist of this group. Like, <laughs> don't shit all over my rainbow. Like, no, I was no, just like, reading about Florida uh, Florida man cop, or I think he's called like Florida's worst cop. Yeah, like we can move forward as a society. Like we shouldn't. Ugh, Sorry, okay, I, f- yeah. I, I forget that memo sometimes. Yes, we can. Yeah. But anyways, kudos to Naomi Osaka for her stance and for her strength. And we hope that getting out of this tournament can help her mental health and yeah. hope Fully, you know, the next time she enters a tournament of this profile, you know, people treat her with some fucking respect. Yeah. Hopefully, her putting the tennis and sports world on timeout teaches some people a lesson. And with that, we're going to take a timeout <laughs> and watch Tormon hit the fan. Yes. The, uh, the, the games for today have started. And so we're going to get going. Thank you, as always, for listening, for supporting us, for your comments, your feedback, and just for vibing with us on Twitter. If you want to reach us on the internets, you can find us at handsomehockey.com, which is our website, Handsome Hockey Podcast on Instagram, at Handsome Hockey on Twitter, or handsomehockeypod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page. And obviously you're listening to us somewhere, but uh, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Red Circle, and YouTube. Go out there. Enjoy all of the hockey. It's the playoffs. It's the best time of the year, mm-hmm. even if your team's not in it. Actually, I find it more joyful sometimes with the Red Wings out because I can cheer without having any skin in the game because i also don't bet on games so Mm. like i i'm not even i'm not even at a loss monetarily if a team loses and it's a lot more fun and as always stay handsome everybody rest a bow